Hello and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, then. One of the most exciting times as an employee is turning up for work on that first day. You've researched the company, you've got through the interview, you've passed the psychometric tests, you were bright and sparkly in that final interview, you negotiated your salary fairly, and you turn up on day one just about as excited as anybody could possibly be. Today is the start of your induction, or as it's often called today, you're onboarding, which which I think is a far more friendly, welcoming, collegiate way of putting it, and you hope to find out more about the things that were mentioned in the whole process, find out more about the company, the people you'll be working with, finding and making connections between the two and getting clearer about the part you'll play as its newest, shiniest asset in the ongoing success of that business. But far from exceeding your engagement expectations, you find yourself left in a room on your own, with a copy of an employee handbook to read and sign, and a compliance and security presentation to sit through, before being given your kit and a seat, and maybe, if you're lucky, an introduction to your team. And that experience isn't as unlikely as you may think, especially in this new world of remote and hybrid working. There's a frightening stat that says, after all that effort you've gone through to find your new employee, 28% of them will quit within the first 90 days starting that job, citing that they had a poor onboarding experience. And only 12% of employees would say that their company has what they would consider as a strong onboarding program. Now, my guest today knows there's a better way to do this. I'm joined by Jerome DeRoy from Narrative, where he helps companies leverage the power of storytelling by teaching them how to craft and tell stories that resonate through a repeatable and scalable method. He's going to share with us why he believes that personal storytelling can improve the onboarding experience exponentially and that these stories really matter and explain just how they can help improve retention and ultimately performance. Welcome to the show, Jerome. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's it's wonderful to have you here. I love the whole storytelling process narrative. Can you just give us a little insight into you and narrative and what you're focusing on right now? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yes, uh, first of all, love the uh, statistics you mentioned earlier. You know, that's certainly the, the experience I think that maybe many people feel, uh, but perhaps don't know if they're alone in this. And and those uh, numbers really show that you know, a lot of people who feel this kind of stuff are not alone. And I was one of those people and and we'll get to that. Uh, But the way that uh, narrative started and my involvement with narrative was not actually in this uh, 
field of onboarding at all. Hmm. Um, it, it was really, uh, even before my time, this company was founded, or the idea for the company actually was, was really created during a, a public health crisis, uh, very much like the one we've been through uh, in the last two years, uh, except that at that time in 1994, uh, it was the AIDS epidemic. Wow. And, um, you know, this was before any treatments appeared on the market or anything like that. So people were dying and, and it was quite a mysterious illness. We didn't quite know what to do about it. And, uh, and there was very much a, a barrier between, you know, the people who had the virus and the people who didn't. And, uh, and it was hard to relate. And so my business partner and the founder of Narrative, at that time, he was a social worker in New York City. And uh, as part of his PhD in social work, he was placed in a program to help people who had uh, a diagnosis of AIDS or who had HIV. And uh, the way that he did that was using his training as a psychologist, first of all, from South Africa, and then as a, a, you know, a, someone who was studying social work. And so the way you do that is one-on-one, and you sit in front of a, a person and you ask them, you know, how do you feel? And when he asked that, most people kind of threw their hands up in the air and said, well, what, what do you mean? How do I feel? How would you feel if you knew you were going to die in a week? <laughs> what kind of dumb question is that? And so... So then he went back to his uh, supervisor and he said, look, I, I'm not sure I'm cut out for this because my training hasn't prepared me for this. Nobody's listening to me. They, they don't think I'm serious or anything. And I don't seem to be helpful. And so his supervisor said, well, why don't you just look at what's going on? You know, and maybe you'll come up with a solution from there that's more adapted. And so he did. He looked around and he noticed that people were quite happy in this program. They had sort of found their community. And, and they all came from, you know, families sometimes who had shunned them. Uh, society very much uh, had kind of marginalized them. And so here they were accepted. They were not judged. And, and they were quite happy. One day, one of the things that happened there was that on a regular basis, uh, Murray would, would hear an announcement uh, throughout the whole uh, building saying that someone had died uh, that week and that they wanted to take a moment of silence. And so they'd have their moment of silence. And then the belongings of that person would be put into a, a large bag. And, and then that bag would be placed in a room so that loved ones could, could pick them up. And more often than not, those bags would never be picked up by anyone. Brutal. And they would be discarded. Yeah. And so that's what he noticed. You know, on the one hand, happy to have found each other. On the other hand, no one's here to collect your belongings. And then one person kind of crystallized it for him. And she said to Murray, you know, we're not afraid of dying here. We've come to terms with that. But what we really are afraid of is leaving nothing of ourselves behind. We won't be remembered for anything. And that's when he said, well, why don't you just tell me your story? And I'll remember your story and I'll carry it with me. And so little by little, more and more people came to this group. It was done as a group so that people could experience it. And, and that's what they would do. They would take each other's stories uh, into the world, essentially. And, and that's what they would leave behind. And then they made videotapes of those. And then the government threatened financial cutbacks on programs exactly like this one and all over the, the U.S. And this was in New York State. And so they hopped onto a yellow school bus and went to the state capital of New York State Albany, and they left their videotapes on the desks of policymakers and legislators and said, 
listen to my story, watch my story, and tell me I don't deserve the same care as everybody else. And it's on the basis of these stories that those cutbacks didn't happen. They changed their minds, and they actually put more money into these programs, but also more money into finding treatments and cures. And this happened worldwide, really. It was one of the most successful social movements of our time. And, and it was these stories that sort of crystallized what this, who these people were, that suddenly they were humanized. They weren't just people with an illness who were different from me and you. Uh, and now it felt like they were functioning members of society, that they had families, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's really what formed the basis of the idea for this company narrative was that here was a way to help people kind of raise their voice and engage with their lives in a different way where they kind of took control of it by telling their story, not being spoken for by others. And when I got involved, 1994, I was a, a senior in high school in France. <laughs> That's where I grew up. So, <laughs> okay. so this was a, a very far world for me. So some 10 years later, I found myself in New York City after a career in finance working in film as a production manager. And that's how I met Murray Nossel, who's also a filmmaker. And, uh, and, and he told me, you know, I founded this company called Narrative. And he told me the story I just told you. And I was quite inspired by that. And he said, you know, do you think there's any way that this could catch on in the business world? Because so far, it's only been nonprofit organizations and foundations and things like that. Mm. And I said, I really do, because you're talking about engagement. And the way you engage those people in that program and have been engaging other people since is what's lacking in a lot of companies. Employees don't feel engaged. Those statistics speak to that, right? And, and yes, we're talking about onboarding in particular, but that's throughout the whole company and throughout the whole culture. So many people, I think it's more than half uh, of employees, you know, at least in the US and, and I think in Europe as well, don't feel engaged at work. And as a result, they leave. Then I can build on that for you. So Gallup's yeah. recent uh, what's State of the Global Workplace report, I think it said 80% like aren't engaged. And in, wow. in the UK, it's it's like 89%. I mean, mm. that's just awful. Awful. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you're you're 100% right my friend. Please carry on. Carry on. Yeah, no. And so and so that was what the the light bulb moment for me back in 2004, 2005 when I first got introduced to narrative was, you know, here's, you know, by by teaching people a methodology to tell the stories that that really kind of get to the core of who they are, what they do, what their purpose is and learn how to actually tell that, express that in a concise, succinct way, it engages yourself in a very, very different way. So as a company, if you're able to say that that is your message and really live by that, uh, and not just you know have the leaders tell great stories, but that everyone gets to learn how to do that, it really changes the whole culture. And so in more recent years, What's happened is that I, I sort of noticed what you were talking about at the top of the show, which is that, you know, there's this fantastic opportunity when someone comes to a, a new company, you know, and, and they are uh, bright eyed, bushy tailed, and they just want to, <laughs> you know, absorb everything they can because they're so excited to start. And what a great opportunity to try to engage someone from the outset, from day one, as opposed to as a sort of uh, crisis management thing, we've got to bring in some consultants now to try to get them to be motivated, et cetera. But no, the time is now when they're already motivated 
and now get them to engage a little bit differently. And so that's how the whole uh, onboarding process and using storytelling to help and support that onboarding process came came to life. Well, we'll get into that, I'm sure. I mean, I think there's some really key words. Firstly, that is a, I shouldn't really use the word fabulous story when it's talking about the pain mm. and, and horror of the whole AIDS crisis at the time, but it's it's a really emotive story. And you talk about engagement. I mean, the, uh, the power of those video stories and those stories behind the lives being told, I mean, that takes it from engagement to proper connection, I think. So they become, like you're saying, no longer a paper statistic. This is a human being who has a story, who has a life, who has connections, who has a real story to tell. And, and the power that that must have evoked, I don't know, extreme. And then mm-hmm. when, you, when you think about what you've just talked about on inboarding and this moment where, you, like you say, you skip in bright-eyed, bushy-tailed to work, and the word engage, I think, in many cases, couldn't be further from what's happening. I think very often we get into processed. We need to process these guys. Oh, and we'll, we'll maybe do a bit of engagement later on, you know, <laughs> but let's process them. And for me, the first question is, what are we trying to achieve with an onboarding process? Are we looking to process or are we looking to engage? Mm. Yeah, it's it's so true. I mean, you know, when I when I first started looking at this whole process of onboarding, uh, what came back to me was my first experience, you know, coming out of business school, re- got this great job in, in finance, and I was really excited. I was going to Hong Kong, um, you know, after having finished my studies in Paris, and, and so it was quite exotic, and talk about feeling really motivated. And and so I I got there and I got on the 15th floor of this beautiful glass building overlooking the Hong Kong Harbor. And and, uh, someone had told me beforehand, you know, here's where you need to go. And so I start going towards this open desk, um, you know, uh, office and uh, with lots of people around and phones ringing. It's very exciting. And, And then someone kind of taps me on the shoulder and says, oh, hi, welcome. And you know, I'm the HR uh, manager, and no, you're not going over there today. Oh. <laughs> that, that is your desk over there, but that's not where you're going. And and so I said, oh, okay, great. You know, and, and I'll, I followed her. And the more we we walked, the darker and darker the scene <laughs> became, and the fewer and fewer windows there were. And then we finally got to this tiny space without any windows, and there was one. You know, there were two chairs and one table. And she gave me these two big binders and she said, You're, can you please sit here and go through these binders in the next 48 hours? And one was compliance and the other one was the employee handbook. <laughs> and, uh, and then I watched a bunch of uh, training videos that seemed like they were made in the 80s, you know, where the things were skipping. Nice. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, and so talk about not being engaged from your first day. Like my, my enthusiasm went from about 100 to two in, <laughs> in the space of three days. And, uh, and all because of exactly what you just said. I mean, I, I was being processed. You know, suddenly there wasn't that sense of meeting people and you know the excitement that you might that you might have there. And it took, you know, another whole week for me to meet people who were even remotely related to my role, because that was the other thing. I was excited, but I was also very nervous because I didn't know yet. I knew from the job description what was expected of me. But I didn't know for real what was expected of me. And I got lucky because one of the people who was supposed to leave within a week of me getting there 
ended up staying for more than six months uh, after I got there. And he really became my guide because he knew the company inside out. He knew what my role was about because he'd been in my shoes at one point. And he told me stories. He told me stories about things that had happened on the job. And that really helped me retain information. And that's how I knew what to do. I knew who to go to. It None of that was in the job description, none of it. And of course it wasn't because how could you do that? I don't expect anybody to be able to put those anecdotes and stories, et cetera. But it's that human connection and those stories that really made a difference. And that's kind of what I remembered, you know, 20 years later uh, when we started these programs in onboarding, where it was really about let's find the people who have the stories that are relevant to the people who are coming in. And rather than giving them job descriptions, let's bring those to life with those real stories of, of things that happen on the job that you're very likely to encounter. And by the way, by doing that, you'll give people a sense of belonging. You'll give them a sense of the culture of your organization. You'll let them know what, how things work, essentially, and what is this culture that they're stepping in. And you'll make them feel like their own culture matters, right? Because you're, what you're also doing is once you start telling stories, people respond with stories, right? So their own experiences get triggered. So now you're going to hear stories from your new hires as you do, as you do this. And that's going to make them feel even more included because now they're being listened to. Absolutely. I mean, I, whenever I do talk to clients about this sort of stuff, I always implore the CEO, the MD, whatever it is, to just make sure you have an open line of communication mm. with your new starters. You know, I was always taught, and I'm sure people on the podcast are bored of me saying this, but, <laughs> you know, when you're a new employee, you're a proper gift to that organization. You don't have any of the baggage that, that comes with it. You don't walk around snow blind because you've seen it a million times and they ignore it. Everything's mm. fresh. Everything's new. So why wouldn't you want to listen to what these guys have got to say? Why wouldn't you want to say, look, tell me whatever. Does our promise match up to our reality? And if it does, great, tell me because I really want to know. But also, mm. if it doesn't, tell me because I really want to know. And yeah. as a new employee, if you're being given that that freedom, that permission to tell it like it is, how does it, how does it match up? I think that's a hugely powerful kind of first entrance into into a business like you really matter you have a voice we're going to listen i mean that's 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 a good thing right we want more of mm -hmm. that. yeah absolutely i mean that word empowering I, I think people use that word a lot but i but i think you know once you you really do feel empowered i think it's exactly what you're saying you know is that someone feels like oh my my voice matters you know that uh, and that's certainly not how I felt uh, in, in that job that I was describing earlier. You know, I loved my team. I loved the people that I was working with, but I, there was no sense of, does this matter what I'm doing? Like, what if I leave tomorrow? Will, will it will it matter? <laughs> and what the irony is that I noticed that people would leave this organization every four to six months because I had a I had uh, I didn't have necessarily an open line to my to mm. my uh, mar uh, managing director, but I, his office was right across that open desk that I described earlier. So I saw, I would see these people go into his office with their kind of shoulders hunched, you know, and and feeling gloomy. And then they'd come out with brilliant smiles on their faces and said, "I quit today." <laughs> and, uh, and and my boss was always saying, you know, well, I guess you know others they just leave because other companies pay better. And that was that was rarely the case. That was rarely the case. And lo and behold, one day it was me doing the same thing. 
and and so there was you know that that sense of your voice matters you know that's what is at the core for me of engagement and the onboarding uh you know that moment those that first week that first month it's such a great opportunity to learn really from from these new hires and if they get the sense that they're being heard and that you're learning from them well guess what they're going to want to work you know double shifts for you i mean that's the the kind of thing that really motivates someone yeah i mean i think back to your hong kong experience you know for me whether it's a film or a book title, you know, two binders in a dark room, that there's something in that, right? Something in that. How quickly did it go for you from watching people go into that office and come out beaming saying, I'm leaving, to you working out that this wasn't a thing for you? I mean, did you did you stick around for long or did you kind of get that same sense? This is this is I don't feel right here. How long did that take? You know, it it took me it took me a while. Well, it took it took three years. It really, I, I go back to that to that one individual who ended up staying much longer uh, than he really wanted, which was kind of interesting because yeah. he just wanted to leave. <laughs> and uh, but if if it wasn't for that person, I think I would have definitely left much sooner uh, because he again he really kind of gave me a sense of how things worked and these observations that I was making of. It was kind of in passing. Oh, that's interesting. People are leaving. It seems fairly often here, and and I was pretty fresh and new, and so I thought, well, that's just how the market works in finance in Hong Kong in particular. It's very competitive, so people just kind of come and go. Uh, but then, it yeah, it took three years for me to realize, no, that's not really what's going on here. And more conversations internally, and this kind of deep dissatisfaction that many people felt uh, and stayed anyway, because for all the people who left, there were ten people who stayed and were not satisfied. And their productivity was definitely going down. And that's what was happening to me. Uh, you know, I, I just wasn't satisfied anymore and, and felt like I needed something new. But it took, it took a, a little bit longer for me to get to that step. And I really do give credit to that person who sort of showed me the ropes, told me those stories, and, and not just excited me about the job, but excited me about the whole context that I was in. You know, finance in the, in the early 2000s in Hong Kong after the takeover, you know, the handover uh, to China and, and all of these different things that he introduced me to uh, culturally uh, that were outside of work. A lot of this happened outside of, of work. It, it, there was a, a holistic approach, I think. And that's what made me hesitate to leave because leaving this company meant that I would have to leave this place yeah. altogether. You know, I couldn't stay if I didn't have a visa. So, so th that there were a lot of um, mitigating factors, and, and I think that's true for potentially any job, really, where it's not just about the workplace, but it's the whole environment that you're creating that makes you want to stay or not. Uh, look, one hundred percent on that, I th and I think that first impression that you make on somebody can i'm not it won't necessarily make or break but it will certainly play a big tune behind how long that person uh, gives the company a chance to sort itself out and find their way yeah. and what have you right i think it absolutely sets the tone so yeah. yeah you can you can get a sense pretty quickly if you're in a room on your own with a manual wow there's not going to be a lot of arm <laughs> around the shoulder in this place um no exactly <laughs> exactly i had to essentially find the people who would do that and i think about nowadays in this context that we're in with covid uh and this pandemic you know so many people have gone remote and and so many offices have gone to a sort of a hybrid model 
uh, or still fully remote. You know, they're not even considering coming back to work. So imagine being a new hire and you don't have the benefit that I had, mm. which was that I could find people within the organization. I could actually do that. But when you're remote, how do you know who to go to? Is there a directory? Do you just cold call people? Do you email? You know, wh- who do you email? Who do you call? And I think these are the kinds of things that increasingly people are thinking about just in terms of that process. Like, yeah. like that's part of your processing probably. But there's also that element of how do we create these more informal casual meetings, what I call, you know, the meetings around the water cooler, those conversations outside of the work when there is no more water cooler. And it's possible to do that. It's just that you have to be very intentional about creating unstructured, uh, you know, meetings and and un- take out the formality from it. And it's weird because you're actually creating a meeting. So it does have some formality. But what you're doing is that you're leaving it free form so that people can meet each other, talk to each other, they're from different departments, different divisions, different parts of the world. That's the opportunity that we have with being remote is that suddenly now the world is open to us. You know, it's not just our office. It's and, a much and smaller I think place, isn't it? It's a much exactly. smaller place now. And, yeah. and many companies are not fully taking advantage of that. You know, that we're still kind of scrambling to adapt or, or still maybe think for some that we're all going to come back, you know, and when we come back, it'll be like flipping a switch. Yeah, I think that's kind of a dangerous mindset to have right yeah. now. I, I think that the the lid's off the cookie jar right now, and people like eating cookies when they want to eat cookies, which is a terrible <laughs> analogy. But I, I think to say like everything's going to go back to normal, bah, I, I can't see it. I can't see it. People have have, have seen behind the curtain now, and they, and they quite yeah. like what they see. I'm right. really keen to try and understand, from your perspective, the tie-up between your experiences now, what narrative does, and the whole storytelling piece with with onboarding it. And in the intro, I kind of talk about this process that you try and help yeah. businesses do when they're telling stories. So can you can you help my listeners and and sort of like just cover what's that process? What's it look like? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it it really begins with with listening, and uh, and so when we what we do is essentially we work with with a group, and and we'll help the the company that we're working with identify you know what are the story themes messages the values um you know sometimes even what's your mission statement what's your vision statement what's your value proposition you know anything that expresses what the company does what it's about uh what it stands for sometimes and then we kind of ask people you know what that leadership what are what are the priorities you know that you really want to instill in these new hires? Is it solely about the role? Is it a kind of a mixture between the culture, what they're coming into and the role, et cetera? And once we have all that information, we start to identify the people who have the stories that can bring these messages to life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we go into a workshop setting. We bring people together, um, whether it's a series of, of workshops of a couple hours or whether it's a day, depending on you know how people want to do this. And it starts with really understanding, giving people a sense of who are you as a listener, first of all. So before we even talk about storytelling is how are we listening right now? Because the way that you listen to somebody else or to yourself is really going to shape what kind of story you're going to tell, how you're going to tell it. And many, many times we have things that get in the way of our ability to listen, uh, obstacles really. And, And if you're not aware of what those obstacles are, 
you could easily shut yourself down to the possibility of a new story emerging or even any story emerging. And a lot of times we kind of have to get through this hurdle of, what do you mean? I, I don't think I have a story or, you know, sure. Okay. Are these new hires really going to be interested in my story? Like why would it be mine and not the CEO's story? Mm. You know, that kind of thing. And so that all comes from listening and, and these, these obstacles that get in the way that are a lot of times psychological, you know, judgments, things like that, but there are other obstacles too. And so we look at that and, and we give people that awareness and then, and only then we start to look at what are the stories that are emerging in this kind of listening environment that are linked to these values and themes and messages that we've identified before. And the cardinal rule that we ask people to follow, and we're quite strict about this, is to tell a story according to what happened, that a story should always be the answer to the question, what happened? And, you know, that sounds pretty obvious, right? Of course, you have to tell what happened. But what happens most of the time is that people are eager to tell you what they thought about what happened to them, what they felt about what happened to them, what their opinions were about what happened to them, what their interpretations were about, you know, conclusions, morals, all that stuff. And we always say, I'm sorry, I don't care about that. <laughs> what, I, what I really care about is what happened. You know, give me the details of that experience. So it's the difference between saying, you know, I was really bored with my job. I was not feeling any passion about it. And I felt like I needed to do something else, that there was something else out there for me. Okay, what happened? Yeah, well, cool. <laughs> and, so, and it's the difference between that and saying it was a Monday morning after a three-hour Monday morning meeting that we always had on Mondays. And I was sitting at my desk and I typed in three words in my search engine. And those words were business, film, and New York. And then I walked up to my, to my boss's office, sat at his desk, and said, Lawrence, I quit. And there you go. And then, you know, six months later, I'm in New York City, and this is my story. This is what happened to me. So I could tell it to you exactly like that yeah. as it happened. And so that you feel the emotion of that. You feel the excitement of it. You know, you feel the mystery of it. What's you feel in it. Now? You feel in yes. it, right? Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. And that's, and once people really get that in, 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 on how to tell that story, then they start to get excited about their own journey. That's when they get start, start to get excited about telling the story because they get excited about these details that they found. They get witnessed by others when they're telling their stories. And so the others get excited. They see the difference. I often do this exercise where I will show that, you know, because people will get into their heads and they'll talk about their thought process. And then once you find a little detail, um, you know, it's happened the other day, I was working with a client and, and they were saying, you know, this is really about self-reflection and my ability to discover. And I was on a quest and I didn't know which path to take. I said, well, what was the first thing that, you know, how would you describe that, that feeling you were feeling of, of kind of boredom and, and repetitiveness in the job? And he said, well, I would always, you know, repeat the same uh, click on my, on my browser. It was always the same word. And I clicked it about a thousand times a day. And then the whole room went like, oh, well, that's it. That's the story we're interested <laughs> in. You know, we don't care about the paths and the self-reflection and the discovery process. We want to know about that. Like, what was the word? And we're, you know, so that's, so we get people excited about that. And then they, they actually have tangible stories. And then we use those stories and, and we either record them or people tell them live, depending on, you know, what, what's appropriate. 
to the people who need to hear them. So those new hires now, they're going to see Joe from accounting, uh, you know, telling the story of the first time they met their first client, you know, right. and, and how that went and, you know, all the glorious details of that, as opposed to the usual shortcuts that we take, you know, well, I met the client and they had this problem and then it went really well. I gave them a solution and that was it. You know, no, there are things that happened in the middle that were really interesting and helpful. It's not just about entertainment. It's helpful to the person who's hearing it for the first time. They are the relatable pieces, aren't they? They're the things mm-hmm. that can you can then put yourself in that story or in that in that predicament or in that environment yes. and start to make sense of, oh, well, how's that going to feel for me? What, how would I react? What would I do? Oh, okay, that's that's what's expected. Those stories create a better sense of understanding clearly. Yes. And and that piece that you're talking about, that reflection is really important because we are looking for connection. And so, you know, this is not about sort of telling the story, dropping the mic and leaving the stage. It's very much about staying in the room or, you know, on Zoom, whatever it might be, and hear what your audience has to say in in as they reflect on what they got from it, especially what they got from it. What are you going to do with this information? What story does this trigger for you? Mm. You know, now you tell me a story so I can get information. Um, and it so starts this two-way street, which is really much more of a conversation and dialogue. So when we think about that whole storytelling process and we and we think about the really poor onboarding process that people are having all over the world at the, at the moment, what mm. do you think we need more of going forward, Jerome? Mm. Well, I think, you know, we need more leaders who really understand the value of putting oneself in the shoes of others, right? Because I think right now there's so much focus on talent, finding talent or the lack of talent, all these things, you know, the great resignation, all these different things that that have been in the air and, you know, we're wondering how long is it going to last? But really what it requires is for people to listen, first of all, to what's going on, and then to understand that, you know, what does a new hire need? What is it that they really need at this moment? What are the, the things that, that are going to make a difference for that person in terms of that sense of belonging and, and that sense of motivation? And so I think that's what we need more of is, is people who are willing to put themselves in the shoes of others rather than being prescriptive about it and really kind of listening and understanding, this is my company, this is my culture, this is how it's been shaped. Let's look at that story first What's the story that we need to tell about ourselves to attract the talent that we really need, that we're really looking for here, uh, not just on a kind of basic job description level? I think that's so true. I mean, the whole point for me about engagement is finding connections between individuals and businesses. And, mm. and, and when those connections kind of are really strong and match up, I think wonderful things happen. And it's the same thing yeah. with the people internally. And just how you described, you know, we're sitting here, we've had a conversation about how to use storytelling and personal stories for new hires to make them feel welcome, belong, valued, all those, all those great things. But it's, it's just as powerful your employer brand. It's doing a recruitment job for you. And when you yes. think about the thing about retention at the front, if even at entry level, I think it costs something like 50% of the salary to re-recruit someone once they've gone let's just have an entry-level person if you're thinking about higher up and exec level it could be up to something like 200 percent of the costs whereas what we're talking about is investment up front (laughs) 
bringing people in. I'm a brand guy, right? I love a brand story. I want the connection. You know, the first time I was asked to get involved in an onboarding program and there was no piece about the brand story. There was no piece about how you fit into that role. What are you going to do to kind of keep the brand story going? I was horrified, <laughs> horrified, right? But now I speak to guys like you and more and more people are kind of, I think, starting to, to get this thing that there's there's a great thing to happen. And mm. storytelling, I think, I think it's one of those things that just, I know it just goes on and on and on. It's like concentric circles, right? You tell a story, someone else, you said before, there's an exchange that goes on with storytelling. And the more mm-hmm. you encourage it, the more willing people are to tell stories and the more stories there are, the more fabulous things that are that you remember about a business and experience, a customer, a person, whatever it might be. And that just makes the whole thing far more colorful, I think. Yes, absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. And I think really it's, it's so important to keep, you know, for leaders to keep searching for stories and storytellers within their company. Um, you know, don't go to the, to the usual suspects who are the great, charismatic ones and orators and presenters, you know, who the the salespeople, whatever you have, you know, but rather really start to look at what are those messages that you're putting out and who are the people that could tell them, because that's what's going to make you more authentic. uh, And and it's going to be much more genuine to, to who the company is and to who you want to attract. And, you know, I've got clients who now, as part of this, use these videos that we created for their website, for their recruitment purposes, you know, that's become the stories of their, of their brand, of their culture. And so I think once you start to really dig into this and it doesn't take much to do so, you, you start to, you know, these stories start to emerge and people start to emerge. And so engage those people rather than trying to tell the story yourself all the time. That's a, that's a fantastic way to summarize that. And, and talking of summaries, I cannot believe, I mean, this is testament to your own storytelling. I can't believe the time has flown away like it has. And we're now we're now at the point, right, that I call sticky notes, Jerome, where I try and harness all of your wisdom on three post-it notes. So if you were to try and give someone some advice today about how to improve their onboarding experience through storytelling, what would your three sticky notes be, my friend? Mm. Well, the first is I would really look at your values. You know, what is it that this company's about? What's the purpose of it? You can go to your mission statement, you can go to your vision statement, whatever it is, but really look at that and and start to identify those and boil them down to two or three kind of emotive words, right? Those that that really elicit an emotion, um, you know, like uh, like what if you're all about uh, safety? What if you're all about uh, you know making making things more certain for people or or convenience or speed? Those are the things. And, and so I would start with that because that's going to give you a springboard into the kinds of stories that you need to look for. And so often people don't know where to begin. And so I, I think begin with that. And then, you know, maybe the second sticky note is remember that this is all about people um, and, and look for the people that you already have. Because I think with onboarding, we sort of think about, okay, well, you know, that's what we're recruiting for. We're, we're getting all these new people, but there are people right now in your organization who live and breathe your culture, who live and breathe those values, those themes, those two or three words that you've now gotten from, from that first sticky note, right? So who are the people who can really tell the stories and just listen, listen to them, create like a 30 minute meeting and just ask them questions about what they do and how they do it. And who they see as part of their job and who made a difference in their lives, all these kinds of things 
that are really going to bring to life your messages. And I think the third thing is to is to really embrace the process and have fun with it in terms of, you know, now you've got these these great stories, you've got these great people who can tell stories. And so now let's let's deploy these or disseminate these in a way that's really going to going to help your company as a whole, not just the onboarding process. Uh, but I think that's where that's where I would start, you know, because I think too often people think that, well, I'm going to have to change my whole process. It's all crap. Nobody likes it, you know. But no, that's not true. There's some there's some good parts to it, and, and it's just about adding, you know, sprinkling these stories. Uh, around. And so that's going to just bring the whole thing to life. You still have to do compliance. You still have to do employee handbooks, but those stories are really going to help that engagement. I think that's so true. And and it is not all about ripping it up and starting again. Very rarely is it about throwing everything out. There's always something in there that's worth kind of polishing up and taking forward and, uh, mm-hmm. and ta- uh, taking to the masses. So Jerome, Oh my goodness. It was wonderful to speak to you. I don't think I've ever had 40 minutes kind of go so quick uh, (laughs) as that. Uh, I know you're incredibly busy. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been really, really great talking to you and you've left us with some fantastic food for thought. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. I I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks so much. You're very welcome, my friend. Okay. That was Jerome DeRoy from Narrative. If you'd like to find out a bit more about him, or anything we've talked about, please check out the show notes. So, that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.